Hey, this is Austin from Boise, Idaho. And unless I feel like bashing my head into a brick wall over and over and over again, I never fucking listened to Dolomore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, episode 148. I hope you are as ready as I am. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me, rearing to go, ready to go at 11.39 p.m. on Sunday, August 16th, 2015, is the lovely Brittany Page. Yeah, don't say I'm ready to go because I'm not ready to go. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of late. It is very late, and I'm scrambling to get my links up as yeah, we speak. Yeah, links, not sausage links. I assume you're talking about um, computer links. Yeah, I don't think it would make sense for me to be scrambling to get my sausage links up. I, what? Listen, you're you're a a, a a riddle wrapped in an enigma, stuffed inside of a of a of a something else that's real mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> That was real good. <laughs> Listen, like I said, now it's 11.40 p.m. on the Sunday before. Normally, I post the show at 11.55 p.m. tonight. I'm sure you'll get that done. But I don't think that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Anyway, how are you? I'm doing well. Wow. Tired, but we'll see. How are you doing? But we will see. Uh, I'm, I'm doing okay. A little, little uh, tepid. I don't know if that's the, the, the right word for uh -huh. it. I'm uh, pensive. I'm pensive. How about okay. that? Is that a little better? Yeah. My hometown is facing a massive natural disaster. Um, yeah. Flame. I mean, I, I, don't, I, want, I don't want to be too hyperbolic and say that it's on fire. My hometown is on fire. But it's not good. Many, many homes and many thousands of acres, tens of thousands of acres have burned. And it's a, a tenuous situation, to say the least. Right. The fire hasn't technically reached your hometown yet. It's just on the outskirts. Is that fair to say? Or is it in your hometown? Uh, well, it's, I don't think it's in... I'm from a little tiny town in northern Idaho called Orofino, Idaho. We were not mentioning the name for some reason, talking about it in a very secret agent kind of way. I wasn't. I just hadn't said it yet. Okay. I, I was just following you. <laughs> well... Anyway, uh, I'm from a little tiny town called Orofino, like maybe 3,000 people proper in Orofino proper. However, there is a larger, not when I say larger, I mean a few hundred more people <laughs> that live on the outskirts, but it's still considered Orofino. So uh, it's probably the, the carnage that's taking place relative to this fire is happening within fewer than five miles from Orofino city limits. And it was started by lightning. That's right. Right? Yeah. Which is a weird, it's a weird thing. Anytime that a natural disaster happens, I find it obviously troublesome because people near whom I was raised or with whom I was raised 
are experiencing trauma. A a terrible thing is happening. Uh, The other thing is that there's, especially in the the age of Facebook that we live, it's a weird, I'm going to pray for you kind of a thing. And I, listen, everybody knows I'm an atheist. I don't believe in gods, any gods, not your God and not your God. If you believe in Buddha, I don't believe in that. If you believe in in, in Allah, I don't believe in that. If you believe in Yahweh, yeah, I don't got that one either. None of that. So it's not necessarily just completely shitting on praying, but it's also, I don't know, it just bothers me a lot because it's an empty, it's an empty thing to say. Well, one th- it's no different than saying, I'll be thinking about you. Well, I mean, I think what you're trying to say is that it's, it's probably more comforting for the person that's saying that than yeah. it is the person that is receiving that. Or it might be comforting for the person that's receiving that message as well because they feel like someone, you know, is thinking about them, is wishing them well, and then the person that's doing that, they feel good about having done something. Well, right? listen, if a person if the person who who, who is being prayed for the recipient of the prayer, let's say, if they believe it has power, then it might make them feel good. If someone tells me they're praying for me, then I'd say, great, that's gonna, if that makes you feel better, you go right ahead because that's for you. That does nothing for me. Right, but if the person believes that prayer will benefit them and they are receiving the prayer and the message that someone is saying, I will pray for you, they're okay. going to feel differently than you do. Right, okay. Under the same logic, and I agree with you, and I'm not... I do, I agree. But if if someone believed that if I wave a brick painted blue in the sky, hey, I'll be waving the blue brick for you tonight, it does nothing. However, if they feel like it does something, then it you're saying that there is some, some kind of a placebic effect. No, I'm not saying it has any effect at all. I'm just saying that it may be comforting to the person who's saying it. that's an effect. And also comforting to the person that's receiving it if they believe it does any good. Yeah. But I, I I did see one post where someone said that the fire was stopped like four miles from their house and that they were so blessed. Uh, really? Yeah, and I just... God damn. I don't know. I, I feel like that's kind of rude. You know, I mean, I know that they... It's the the height of insensitivity. I know that they mean it, you know, that they they feel blessed and that they're happy that their house was saved. But, you know, I mean, really, what you're saying implicitly with that sentence is that the other people, you know, four miles down the road who lost their homes were not blessed. And why weren't they blessed? But you were blessed. You know, it's kind of a... Maybe they didn't pray hard enough to have their home saved by this omnipotent God that allows flame to kill and maim and destruct property in some cases, but then not others. Well, I mean, I just see that and I kind of... uh, It makes me uncomfortable because the people who are technically not blessed in that situation, and then you were blessed but other people weren't it and just also, makes me feel bad for those people you're just openly and flagrantly flaunting the fact of how blessed you are in the face of someone else's life altering tragedy yeah that's yeah. the other thing that makes me a little uncomfortable because i've seen a lot of people posting about how like their family members have lost their houses and right 
a lot of bad things are going on because this there's several different fires right now. There's fires in Oregon, All there's over, fires yeah. in California. Yeah. And so a lot of stuff is burning and a lot of people are in danger. And uh, I don't know, when I see those posts, it just makes me uncomfortable just, for the people that are suffering. It's dickish. That would be I, your I, word. I think it's dickish. That would be your word. All right. Sir. All right. Let's let's move on. Let us know what you feel about this or any other topic that we've talked about in the past, whether it be episode one or episode 147. You can get hold of us by leaving us a voicemail of fewer than three minutes at 657-464-7609. That is the official I Doubt It With Dollamore voicemail line. If you are somehow phobic of leaving voicemails, you can record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We love to hear from our loyal, intelligent, and beautiful audience. Speaking, what a contrived segue, but speaking of our intelligent, well-informed, and beautiful audience, we received an email from Mark. And I'm not sure exactly where Mark is from. For some reason, I have it in my head that he's from New Mexico, but I don't know. But Mark left us a, a very long, very detailed, awesome email. And he, he's kind of asking questions and kind of giving his story about flat tax or fair tax. I don't know what they're calling it this week. It, it involved a lot of number crunching. Yeah. And I, I failed to mention it last time because I am a douche. But I'm not failing this time. Mark, we are getting to the topic. I don't want to talk off the top of my head like I normally do. <laughs> I want to actually put a little research and in, in, in think time. Well, it requires that. It would have to if I'm going to give a, 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 an earnest, legitimate answer. We're also trying to figure out how to read it because the email is so good. And we're not going to read the whole thing. I know it's just really, really long and it's a lot of number crunching, but it's so good. And yeah, we yeah. want to try to convey what Mark said in well, the email. I, I also want to convey that if you communicate with the show, I might not get back to you right away. In fact, I might not even write back to you, but there will certainly be some sort of communication, whether it be written or whether it be, be vocally addressing it, which is easiest for me because, you know, I'm. A lazy turd. A very lazy turd yes. who, who has a gift for running his, his mouth. A gift or... A, a gift. Yeah. It's a gift. In other news, and this is related to another piece of listener communication, we got a voice memo sent to us from someone's smartphone. And, well, really there's no other way to describe it other than just to play it. Hi, this is Dave... And Sable from the Indispensable Thursday show. We were just sitting around talking about the very heartfelt letter we heard read on your show, Jesse and uh, Brittany. Uh, some, was it a woman, man or woman? I don't remember. Probably a man or a woman uh, had written in that you'd help them greatly through some very difficult time. And um, something they said reminded me of a song from 1980. I just wanted to sing a little bit for you. than words can accurately describe I'll love you twice as much tomorrow Whoa, love you more than words can accurately describe 
little uh, musical interlude, Brittany Page. I know. What what a talented fellow. <laughs> I didn't. He said Dave and Sable. That sounded like one person said, well, to me. Unless it was Sable silently on the guitar. Oh. Which might be. Okay. That, Th- th- these are a couple of guys that uh, they obviously host a podcast like they mentioned, the Indispensable Thursday show. We should get these guys in studio because I listen to their show quite a bit. And Dave, the singer in the four, in, in the previous clip, he's uh, he's what I used to be. He's a knee jerk. He he worships at the throne <laughs> of Thomas Sowell. Mm, he mm-hmm. is, you know. Everything ties back to to how Obama is evil. Oh, <laughs> yes. it's not it's not quite that bad, but it's certainly uh, we disagree about a lot. So I'd love to get these guys in the show and do like a Ryan Bell type episode where they sit in for the whole episode, and he and I can can sit at arm's length and and, and argue the whole time and hash it out a little yes. bit. Yes, I think it would be entertaining. For the audience, oh, because yeah. I I still consider myself a conservative. Well, and he is you, a conservative too. You, you're just desperately clinging to that title at this point. Remember anyway. what you said. Remember what you said. What did I say? Well, I don't remember. Oh. I was hoping you would remember, <laughs> but um, in changing wow. in changing your political orientation, right? I think you said you were going to have to start identifying as a conservative. A Democrat or a centrist first, but but you said conservative Democrat at I, one point. You I said don't that. remember that because I remember when I have no memory of that when Democrat came out of your mouth, like your eyes went black and it, it seemed like you were gonna die. A Democrat has never come out of my mouth. <laughs> that is that is most certain. Okay, guaranteed. All right, a little bit of follow up. We're continuing the follow up. It's more follow up. <laughs> All right. A little bit more follow-up. We have talked about this. Uh, I want. I don't resort. I don't want to resort to name calling. But this lady, this mm-hmm. this fanciful lady, <laughs> county court clerk in Rowan County, Kentucky, Kim Davis. She was ordered by the Supreme Court, and well, everyone who issues marriage licenses was was compelled by the Supreme Court in the final ruling. That marriage equality is the law of the land. Well, she chose not to. What she chose to do in her county was to not issue marriage licenses at all. Well, I said that a little stupid, didn't I? At all? She, she's not issuing any, whether it be straights, gays, anybody. And that's her cop-out. She has been refusing to do so. And then a federal court judge has issued a ruling that you will do it because it is he's compelling her a federal judge is compelling her to do it, and she still apparently refuses. Despite a legal loss, a county in eastern Kentucky is still not issuing marriage licenses. A lawyer for gay couples in the Commonwealth may now ask a judge to hold Rowan County clerk Kim Davis in contempt. A federal judge ruled yesterday that Davis's religious beliefs should not prevent her from carrying out the duties of her job. But this morning, same-sex couples were again turned away when they went to the clerk's office for a marriage license. They are cruel. These people are cruel. And this is wrong. And that's how it is. That is how it is. And that's the bottom line. She's wrong, and these people are cruel to do this to us. And that's how I feel. 
Workers in Davis's office say she is on a scheduled vacation. Her lawyer says they will appeal yesterday's ruling. So that's what's happening. And I, I, I found the audio. Actually, there's video of this, of the two gentlemen. What are their names again? David Moore and David Ermold. That's right. The, the two gentlemen, we, which we played, their, their, their personal video of going in to try to get a marriage license early on before the federal judge compelled her to do so. Well, there's another video, and I, I, I'm going to apologize up front. There's a lot of camera clicking like there just was, but you get the idea of what's happening here. They are at round two after the federal judge compelled her to do so. They are at round two trying to get their marriage license. They're talking to several people, one of which is, is the, one of the judges or the judge's like top assistant or the organizer of the judges, and he's being super ha- helpful and friendly, but his hands are tied by the law that she's the one to order them. And then at one point, they're talking to some, some smug prick, sorry, some smug guy <laughs> in the office who happens to be, they find out, Kim Davis's son. Right. His name's Nathan Davis. That's right. Well, you know, one of the things that we read in comments everywhere was saying, well, why don't you go to the next county? Why don't you just go to the next county? Well, why should we? We've already been through this. Like I said, we're still currently not issuing a license. If you have any further questions, you can contact me. What's your name? My name is Nathan Davis. Thank you. Are you related to Nathan Davis? Like I said, you want to have a good day. That's her son. That's a little her son. nepotism there. Hey, this is David Warren. Hey, we went into from Davis's office to ask for a marriage license. She said she's not issuing them today with the injunction. There is no stay on the injunction. And she is not present in her office. Are you able to issue the license? Okay, but you yourself cannot do it if she's not here. Okay. All right. Well, you have no way to do it. Fine. Okay. Yeah. All right. That is why we came to ask. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Nope. Won't do it. So. Except you want a statement from me, I will say that people are cruel. We waited for years to get married. We've been together forever, and we waited. He wanted to wait until it was legal and recognized in all the states. This is supposed to be a progressive county. That's what this is supposed to be. This is what we were told. This is, this is the way. This, this is how gay people are treated in this country. This is what it's like. This is their experience. This is how it feels. Right? And if, if, if nothing comes of this, at least I hope that other people understand that this is wrong. It's just wrong. We came here as anyone should be able to because there is an injunction. Anyone should be able to come in, walk in there, get a marriage license, not have to identify what gender they are or anything. They should just be able to walk in, two people, and get it, two adults. <laughs> so, anyone. Originally on July 6th um, to see if we could get one, and we were turned away. Uh, by one of our clerks, Brian Mason, and uh, he told us at the time that it was Kim's decision to not give out marriage licenses to anybody, and we asked if there was anybody else at the time who could, you know, give them out, and she told us, of course, uh, Walter Blevins, Dr. Blevins could, but he can't do it, I guess, unless she's out of the building, so he couldn't do it, so we yet got turned to and this is the guy who's like head of the court whose hands are tied. 
forced the clerk to. Uh, well, she's absent today. I know she's absent today. But uh, she has six clerks uh -huh. that know how to do the operation. They can send. The one we just watched said that they were instructed not to. And then well, we have some attended and just said that's what they were told. So I, I have no that, idea what the entity be, told them. I mean, that would be the clerk's call. As long as the clerks are in there, it's not like she's really absent. That's, that's what I mean. Kind of, yeah. That's because they take over her job when she's not there. So I don't know right. how they can say the clerk's absent. You know, they could be, if they break uh, what she tells them to do, then I guess they could lose their job perhaps. Right. And I, I assume that's probably what's occurring. That's. Apologize, Ed, to come today and. Walk away empty handed, but well, no, it's actually information and we needed it. Good luck to you. Thank you. Good luck to you. This is definitely not the opinion of the majority of people, even in the building, much less Brown County. It's a very small, basically one person, but a small group of people at the most. We're not going to be the, the last group of gay people in Brown County getting married. You know, there's a whole bunch of people, it's going to be two later, and I guess this will set the tone up to if are they going to be afraid to get the license? Are they afraid they're going to get you know if they see it can be done and once it's done it's going to help a lot of people. That last part I think is very uplifting, very promising. That he says even the gay gentleman who's trying to get a marriage license says that her opinion is not the majority opinion in the building or even the county, that she's like the last the last holdout with these bigoted opinions, where I, and I guess this is just prejudice on my part, I thought that the entire county was, you know, no good subjugating and oppressing these gentlemen even after the ruling of the highest court in the land. Yeah, I think like the first video, this video is also emotional because yeah. they say, you know, this is what happens. This is how we're treated. Now, at least we can get the message out that this is how we're treated. And it's really disturbing that two people would walk in, say, can I get a marriage license? And someone is standing there saying, no, right, you're gay. That's right. I'm sorry. You can't have one. And he and the, he doesn't even say it in a customer service oriented way. Oh, no. He's a smug prick. Well, he was the one from the first video from behind the counter. That, that is him. That addressed yeah, them that in, is a, him. in a very negative way. Was very disrespectful. Your business has been handled. Right. Listen, I, I don't really. I think my gaydar is probably faulty. But it's going off with her son. It's ding, 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 ding. I'm not saying that her son is gay and closeted. Uh, but when I think of a guy who's gay and closeted, her son is kind of the guy who comes to mind. I think you're just saying that <laughs> to upset Nathan Davis. I don't know. I, I don't think Nathan Davis is likely listening to I Doubt It with Dollamore. But maybe I'll uh, shoot him a link on his Facebook page. Or maybe a listener will reach out and shoot him a link on his Twitter or Facebook page. So while it is tragic, obviously, that this is still happening, that this is, I mean, it's just crazy that this is still occurring. Just as a reminder, everybody, 
it's 2015. Right. But but I'm very thankful to these two men who are videotaping these encounters, putting them on the Internet and getting the word out that, right. listen, this is still happening. We're still being treated as second class citizens. And they're doing it at risk of public ridicule. Right. It's, it's awesome. They're brave. I mean, it's, it is a brave thing. It is. Well, what about the soldiers? They're not. They're brave, too. It, joke. I I know it's a joke because if it was for real, I would be gone right now. I would just You'd also I'd worry leave. about my that voice that I did. I don't, what happened? Yeah, I don't I don't know what that was. All right. Well, moving on. Support for I doubt it with Dolomore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode, as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dolomore. So the Dolomocracy segments are getting longer and longer and earlier and earlier, and this one's no different. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So Bernie Sanders, who is enjoying unprecedented support and um, awesome rise in the polls, it seems like every week, he was on Meet the Press today and had a little conversation with Chuck Todd. Very quickly, during your one of your largest applause lines is when you said, when you become president, you're going to focus on on uh, creating a health care system that's essentially Medicare for all. Does that mean you're going to scrap yeah. the Affordable Care Act and then try to implement Medicare for all if you're president? Well, what it, Chuck, what it means is we are, as you know, the only major country on earth that doesn't guarantee health care to all people. I live 100 miles away from Canada. They do it. Uh, we spend almost twice as much per capita on health care as do the people of any other country. So what we want to do is expand on Medicare. Medicare is a popular, good system. It covers people who are old. I want to see Medicare cover everybody. A Medicare for all single-payer program is the way, in my view, that you provide universal, quality, cost-effective health care, and we join the rest of the industrialized world. So, well, first of all, He doesn't even answer the question. The question is, do you want to do away with Obamacare and just extend Medicare to everyone? To which he replies, well, what it means is we don't do this and this and this in this country and we want to expand Medicare. He doesn't, but he doesn't say I want to scrap Obamacare and, you know, he doesn't lay out the plan. The other thing is, And I don't know if this is surprising or not, but the aforementioned Bernie Sanders got called out by factcheck.org on this as false. Yes. So politifact.com says that his. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Politifact, not factcheck.org. That was just kind of a smug way for me to correct you. (laughs) So 
He said, quote, we spend almost twice Ready as pay. much. <laughs> Smugging it up. We spend almost twice as much per capita on health care as we do the people of any other country. PolitiFact says it's a striking claim and one we heard from Sanders six years ago. We rated the claim false then and it's still wrong now. We looked at the data from the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, widely cited by experts as an authoritative source for this information. In 2007, the United States led the world in healthcare spending at 7,167 per capita. Norway and Switzerland followed at 4,579 and 4,568, respectively. The United States maintained its spending lead in the years that followed, but Sanders puts the difference too strongly when he says U.S. spending is, quote, almost twice per capita of, quote, any other country. According to the OECD's most recent data, U.S. spending grew to 8,713 per capita in 2013. Switzerland and Norway came in second and third at 6,325 and 5,862 per capita, respectively. The organization's incomplete 2014 data set, which does not include the United States, shows no country spending over 6,500 per capita. PolitiFact says, had Sanders fine-tuned his talking point by claiming that the United States spends twice as much per capita as the average developed country, his statement would have been accurate. Average per capita spending is less than 3,500 across the 32 countries listed in the OEC database. That's 40% of what the United States spends per person. PolitiFact says the United States spends more on health care per capita than other countries, but not always twice as much. Sanders' comment suggests that the United States outpaces all other countries more than it actually does. European countries with extensive social service networks aren't so far behind the United States. Right. Which is, here's, I, I'm trying to curb my verbal crutches on the show, and here's the deal is one of them I say all the time. I may not be able to do so, so you may just have to bear with me. So here's the deal. (laughs) (laughs) We need to know what the deal is. Bernie Sanders, he knows what the deal is. Bernie Sanders knows these numbers. So if if he's been called out on them before and he's continuing to to use them, he's, uh, oh, what's the word? Lying. Or he's being disingenuous, at the very least. So I would admonish the the Sanders campaign to get their shit together and start giving accurate data. Because it's like we say on the show all the time, if, if what you say is true and is the right way, the right will win out. You don't need lies and deceptions and uh, misinformation to sell your point. Well, that's what I was going to say. Or there's a third option of why he continues to say what he's saying, because it serves him, right? Yes. It's serving a purpose. Right. And he is enjoying quite a bit of popularity in the polls. Yeah. He's leading Hillary Clinton in Iowa in an exit poll that they did at the county fair. Yeah. Kind of a weird <laughs> thing. Like like the, the secretary of state does some kind of a uh, prospective voter thing. And he is, according to that, leading Hillary Clinton in the polls. I guess we'll wait until this week until some actual news agencies or universities come out with their polling data. And but, not just the state fair. Yeah, but if, no, no, no. It's not the state fair. <laughs> no, I know. It's not the guy who runs the fucking corndog stand. <laughs> <laughs> they but have we'll the see. guy operating the swing ride also <laughs> taking people's votes. Just some dirty, filthy carny. Okay. Uh, and who do you plan to vote for? That is not bias-free language. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, okay. you've heard the show before, right? So the thing to remember, though, 
he is getting more popular. And I think he is more popular because people like you, even you believe he's very honest and you can trust him and he's right. for the people and these corporations aren't donating to his campaign. It's only people. I heard him say today in an interview that the average contribution that he's receiving from 350,000 or whatever, how many people, the, the average contribution is $31 and 20 cents. And that's right out of my head, Brittany Page. That is impressive. Yeah. And it's true because you're not looking at anything. Yeah. But what I was going to... So that's a low amount. I mean, he's not enjoying <laughs> the support of giant banks and oil companies and corporations like Hillary Clinton or any of the other candidates. Other, I mean, save Donald Trump, who has deep pockets. Go ahead. Sorry, I keep interrupting. Yeah, you're... What's what's funny is is I was laughing. So he is super popular, is what I'm saying, <laughs> Brittany Page. Wildly popular amongst that socialist progressive crowd uh, and that wing of the Democratic Party. You're I'm the sorry. Worst. I'm sorry. I keep doing that. You're the worst. Go ahead. So the important he th- needs no! a comb though. Really, he does need a comb because his hair is a little bit Doc Brown in in Back to the Future. If you know what I mean. Everyone knows who Doc Brown is. You don't need to specify. I, I don't know that. All right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go go ahead, go ahead. So the thing to remember is he's still a politician, right? So he still has talking points and he's still wanting to advance his argument and he may not always use facts to do that. And even though he is, you know, very trustworthy and he's obviously speaking to something and a lot of people... The thing to remember is that he he's still a politician. Yeah. So don't just everything Bernie Sanders says isn't gold. Well, it's kind of it's kind of Obama esque in that way, where he's becoming this uh, this this messiah type character, where he can do no wrong, and he is he is without blemish. You know, he is sin free, and he he's he's you know tra- traversing the countryside, saving humanity, and people are really they're putting him up they're putting him up on this weird political pedestal like they did Barack Obama and look where that got us well, fucking complete terrible gridlock well apparently a president who feels he's intellectually superior to everyone else and will not sit down and legitimately um, interact with the, the opposite party apparently you're going to have more in common with Dave anyway than all right. you think moving on Hillary Clinton Telling, apparently she thinks she's a fucking stand-up, telling jokes about things that probably shouldn't be joked about on the campaign trail. By the way, you may have seen that I recently launched a Snapchat account. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Those messages disappear all by themselves. First of all, she's like 67 years old. How old is Hillary Clinton? Um, I don't know, but why is that relevant? Because I'm not 67, and I don't know anything about Snapchat. She is 67. Wow, you knew that. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Everybody's going to think I'm looking down at notes or something. You, you were not looking down at notes, <laughs> and people should know I have no reason to make you look good. That is true, so. actually. That is the most credible thing you've said ever on the show. Yes. <laughs> well, here's my thing. It's, it's, to what end did she tell this joke? Because this was a... Scr- Listen, nothing... Here's the deal, Brittany. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Nothing Hillary Clinton does is 
off the cuff. Everything she does is scripted to the very, to the gnat's ass, as they say. Was it scripted when she got the pork chop on a stick and lemonade from the state fair as well? Yes, yes, because she doesn't start eating it until the cameras are on to make her look like a woman of the people. Mixing with the unwashed masses. Eating a pork chop on a stick. Delicious, by the way. (laughs) Delicious. I've just never heard of it. So anyway, they had the talking heads on CNN discussing the matter of the Snapchat email joke and the levity that she's trying to create around it. There's a strategy here. It's the same thing Bill Clinton did under the advisement of a guy named Lanny Davis, who was their chief White House advisor. And it's kind of a, if you have dirty laundry, you get it out there, you get it out there first, and everyone will think, well, it's not that big a deal. They already talked about it. So if she starts making jokes about the email thing, she, I think the camp is hoping that everyone will just say, well, she's joking about it. It can't be that big a deal. But it's, this is political strategy at its finest. Anyway, on to the CNN talking heads. Good, good joke or off color? It was a good joke, but it wasn't appropriate to tell it. I mean, the fact that she thinks this is a laughing matter when the FBI is investigating her, I, I think there's a mismatch between how she views the scandal and how everyone else outside the Clinton bubble does. First of all, I don't know who that is talking, but uh, that's not, it's not a good joke. <laughs> that's not a good joke. Good, I don't know that there's ever been a good joke told about Snapchat, first of all. Anyway. Have, have you heard all the jokes about Snapchat? I am. You're an, being pretty judgmental right now. I am an expert in all things Snapchat joke related, and I don't think any of them are good. Okay. Mo, you worked for Hillary Clinton back in 2008. Um, I'm guessing that you're hearing from your friends who are inside the campaign what some of us are hearing, which is that they were not so worried, and maybe they're a little bit more worried now. Yeah, look, I, at the end of the day, I don't think that emails are going to be the deciding factor for people who go into the voting booth. Um, and uh, But I do think that the firestorm around us has taken a lot of oxygen uh, out of the room, that they would rather you know, be focused on the issues rather than be talking about this. Um, so I think that's why you're seeing them step up their effort now to kind of put all the questions to rest. And I think that joke, probably more than anything, served as a reassurance to her supporters, right? That like, you know, I'm not down. This thing is not stopping me. I'm moving forward. And there's nothing to see here. Governor. Come on. <laughs> All you have to do is say the word Colin Powell. You say, well, actually, former secretaries of state have done exactly the same thing. Use their own personal email for state business. It's exactly what Colin Powell did. Except for the fact when Colin Powell took office, when he assumed his duties as secretary of state, email and the Internet was nowhere near what it is now. In 2001, January 20th, 2001, when Bush assumed office as president of the United States and subsequently uh, appointed, nominated Colin Powell to be secretary of state, think about in 2001 what was going on. Come on. Come on. He is not going to be the attack on Hillary Clinton that the Republicans are going to be successful with. They'll find something new, but this is not going to get them to the finish line. I disagree because I think the fact that it does play into her vulnerability as a national security candidate. She set up a private server for her own personal convenience that potentially compromised national security. Add that up with her record as Secretary of State. I think it paints a big But that wasn't a problem with Colin Powell. And Eric, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Let, let, Let me just say it. It wasn't an appropriate joke, and when, especially when you have the FBI, FBI trying to recreate 
the email record that she deleted to see what could have possibly fallen into the hands of the Russians and the Chinese. It completely inappropriate. I think some things have to happen here. Uh, number one, the State Department has to stop running cover for Hillary Clinton by minimizing the case against her in their background conversations with reporters. This is serious business. Number two, I think the Attorney General, since this has now become a matter of great public concern, should come forward and say publicly that no one is above the law, that she's going to follow the evidence wherever it leads, and that Hillary Clinton, if she's found to have mishandled classified information, will be treated just like any other government employee in the same situation. And then finally, I would say to the, the nation's newspaper editors, stop treating this like a, another campaign story. Uh, assign your best defense and national security reporters to it. Because when you subject it to the usual, he said, she said, Republican versus Democrat, back and forth of a campaign, it doesn't uh, do justice to the story. I agree. and I th- It's kind of a wait and see kind of a thing that's happening here. And we'll, we'll have to wait and see, Brittany. How, that was profound, huh? It's a wait and see situation. Therefore, we're going to have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, I think that's true, though, because she just agreed to hand over her server. Yes. However, it's like I said in previous episodes, it matters more about what information, whether it be what level of classification it had. If it's just secret, who cares? Who cares? If it was actually potentially damaging information that she has on her unsecured bullshit server in her house, then that's a problem. You know what I mean? No, I don't know what you mean. All right. All right. Well, our favorite, Nate Silver, was on MSNBC with Chris Hayes, and they had an awesome conversation because every conversation with with, uh, Nate Silver is awesome. Joining me now, Nate Silver, editor-in-chief of 538, who's been chastising the media for (laughs) overemphasizing polls this early in the election cycle. Why you gotta be such a bummer, dude? It's it's August, not August of the election year, but the year before the election. We've never seen anything like this before. There was so much focus on on polls so early in the campaign. And as much as we'd like to see this drama play itself out, the fact is you can't overcome the calendar. We're half a year until New Hampshire and Iowa. If you look back in August of past years, who was winning at this point in, the, in time? It was Rudy Giuliani, Hillary Clinton in 2007, right. Joe Lieberman, uh, you know, uh, Fred Thompson. Donald- okay, but let me, let, me, let me sort of argue <laughs> on the other side for a second a little bit. One is that I do think a lot of rules have been changing. Uh, there's a sort of, you know, there's, there's a sort of sense that the, the future will look like the past and these are what the kind of rules are. We have not quite, there's a lot of things about this that are unprecedented, right? The number of people in the field, the full flowering of a post-Citizens United primary with super PACs kind of fully mobilized very early on, meaning that the kind of money game is very different than it used to be in terms of how things get decided and whether the money dries up too quickly. So there are a lot of ways in which the rules have changed. Well, the fact that there are 17 candidates in the race is irrefutably uh, new and unexplored territory, right? uh, If you look at 538, I'm really skeptical about Donald Trump's chances to win the nomination, but the, the fact is there's a likelihood that they might have a very, very long, drawn-out nomination process. Um, Trump, we think, is probably, for now, topped out in the polls, but the people gaining are not the establishment candidates. Right. It's not Walker. It's not Bush. Maybe Rubio a bit, but right. it's Ben Carson, and Fiorina. Fiorina, who's kind of on the fringe of being an establishment or right. an 
um, anti-establishment candidate. Um, but, you know, um, when the highest establishment candidate in the GP field is at 10 percent in the polls, then they have a long way to go to sort out um, what their nominee is going to be. And a big thing here to sort of bring it back to ads is that, you know, I think most people have a sense, don't have a real sense that almost all of what a modern campaign does is raise money on one side and buy ads on the other. That well, is a massive amount of what a Republican campaign. Democrats yeah. will also have a turnout operation yes. like Obama did or as the GOP did in the Bush years. Right. Um, but sometimes you'll see little bumps in the polls. So John Kasich in, in, North, in New Hampshire, rather, um, had a little ad buy. And when you only need to go from 5% to 10% to be like second or third place in those polls, he's buying those ads probably to get a favorable buzz from people like us, right. I suppose. We say, oh, Kasich has momentum now, right? And it kind of pays for itself down the road. What do we know about the efficacy of ads? I mean, my sense is that that, that effect is, is not very uh, durable. It doesn't yeah. last very long. But it can really, I mean, they really can have an effect. When you start to dump serious buys into a place, you can really see numbers move. It's pretty short-lived, right? So the half-life, it deteriorates really fast. So, you know, usually you would conserve your money until, until the end. This is the key, right? But if you want to create buzz in a 17-candidate race and create momentum, momentum is usually kind of a fake term when journalists supply it. But when you, want, you have to make sure people want to um, volunteer for your campaign, campaign, or staff you your campaign, give you money, then it helps to be on that primary debate stage and not the JV yes. debate. Right. And that's also made this sort of, that's also a new rule, right? This yeah. sort of making this cut off the importance of national polling this early on. But the key thing here is the, 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 the normal logic of political ad buys. I mean, we are not seeing big multi-million dollar buys. And we're, what we're really not seeing is big multi-million dollar negative buys, negative mailers. That will come and that will have a big effect. It, it will come. Um, you know, people, I think, should rejoice in this part of the campaign where it's kind of fun and free-flowing. <laughs> Whoever's nominee is going to be a very negative campaign, you would think, yes. next year for the general election. Um, but, you know, we're, we're very, very early here. I, I do think there's more of a case that on the GOP side, we're in new and fresh territory than on the Democratic yes. side where, you know, this race looks a lot like 2000 where it was Bradley versus Al Gore. Yep. It's really boring if you have a candidate who is seen as inevitable. Right. Um, but, you know, Clinton still has been endorsed by already half the Democratic Congress. She's raised lots of money. She has a 30-point lead in national polls. Right. Um, Bernie Sanders could win New Hampshire, maybe Iowa, maybe Could win both. a few states, yes. But the problem then is can he sustain that when you get into states with a larger minority population? I, I still do think that there is, um, there is a lot about this that is uncharted. I agree it's more uncharted on the GOP side, but I think it is broadly uncharted. I do think, like, a lot of the mechanisms of the past are breaking down uh, in our midst. We saw that a bit in 2008. Uh, Nate Silver, it's always a pleasure, man. So it's funny that he's criticizing early polling, right? Yeah. Because 538 has a podcast and they did a podcast a before full the debate. About it. Yeah, kind of <laughs> going through different staff members' odds for different candidates. Right. And they were sure to say it was preliminary and it basically is meaningless, but they did a whole podcast they, about it. They got to feel airtime. You know what I mean? I guess so. Yeah. There, there's not much, uh, there's not much analysis that needs to be done relative to Nate Silver. How am I going to analyze the analyst? You know what I mean? I take him at his word and his brain that what he says is correct, and I also I agree with everything he said right there. Well, it also gives me a lot of hope that he is so cautious of Donald Trump's leading in the polls. Yeah, because he is really. I mean, Nate Silver regularly is writing columns about how Donald Trump is not going to win the nomination. Right. So it gives me some peace of mind. Yeah. Well, speaking of being wrong or not being wrong, uh, the juxtaposition of that, Jeb Bush 
recently said that student loan debt under Obama is twice as high as it was before. And I don't know whether it's Politico or factcheck.org because apparently I don't read anything and I'm speaking off the cuff right now. (laughs) But I'm sure Brittany will set me straight when she reads what she's getting ready to read. It is PolitiFact again. (laughs) And I said Politico. (laughs) Yes, which I don't think does fact-checking. No, they don't. I'm I'm just dumb. Go ahead. So the statement that was ranked as half true on PolitiFact.com is Jeb Bush saying, quote, there has been a 100% increase in student debt under this Democratic White House. He said this on Monday, August 10th in a Twitter exchange. Oh, on the Twitters. And they, they read that as not all true, half false. Half true. Half true. You're being very pessimistic. <laughs> In a Twitter back and forth with Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign, former Florida Governor Jeb Bush said Democrats don't have a great track record for keeping student loan debt in check in recent years. On August 10th, as a part of promoting her college affordability plan, Clinton tweeted a graphic that said, quote, $1.2 trillion, the amount 40 million Americans owe in student debt, accompanied by the text, quote, cost won't be a barrier to education, debt won't hold you back. Bush, running for the Republican nomination, responded with his own similar graphic that said 100% the increase in student debt under this Democratic White House. Hillary Clinton mortgaging the future of college grads for four more years. I would have to say that uh, it seems like the ability to take out a student loan is the choice of the student. And also, sometimes the only way the student is able to finance their education. So what is the Bush plan? I, I obviously you don't have this rhetorical, but so what do they say is half false or half true, as it were? So PolitiFact asks, has the student debt really doubled in the past seven years? And is it fair to tie it to Barack Obama's presidency? The numbers, for the most part, check out. But experts told us that rising student loan debt is a trend that started long before the Obama administration. Quote, The long-term trend of colleges becoming unaffordable goes back to the mid-1980s when private colleges started jacking up the prices, said Stephen Byrd, a senior policy analyst at the New American Foundation and an expert in higher education policy. Quote, In more recent years, it's been the publics that have seen bigger percentage increases in tuition. Huh. Total student loan debt has increased about 86% since Obama took office, a bit under the 100% increase that Bush cited, according to figures from the Federal Reserve. At the end of 2008, right before Obama was inaugurated, the total student loan debt was $640 billion. By March 2015, student loan debt was $1.19 trillion. Hmm. Well, it's not, it's, listen, it's not the only thing that Jeb Bush is wrong about or has been or will be wrong about. Conservative Christians are, are real concerned about the culture nowadays, um, especially in the marriage issue. And, and I'm wondering that they want a candidate eventually who's going to fight uh, on this issue. Are, are, you, are you their guy on this issue? Because they're, they're concerned about the marriage issue. Well, I'm concerned about it as well. I think traditional marriage uh, is a sacrament. It's talking about being informed by one's faith. It's at the at the core of the Catholic faith. And um, to imagine how we're going to succeed in our country unless we have committed family life, a child-centered family um, system is, is hard to imagine. So irrespective of the Supreme Court ruling, 
because they're going to decide whatever they decide, right. and I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, we need to be stalwart supporters of traditional marriage. This was in late May of this year, obviously prior to the Supreme Court decision on June 26th. Uh, I just I want to isolate one thing and and let's let's talk about this very very briefly. To imagine how we're going to succeed in our country unless we have committed family life is hard to imagine. I, I don't understand how two men marrying one another or two women marrying one another doesn't equal committed family life. Yeah, I thought you were also going to. Um select the child-centered family because uh, a gay couple can't have a child-centered family. They can't have children that they care about and are raising and love. Like I said, wrong. He's wrong. For more information on the Jeb Bush positions of your choice, you can go to Jeb2016.com, which leads us, (laughs) which leads us into what's up next. This is a, a very interesting story. Uh, a few months ago, I heard about these two guys, CJ and Charlie, who happened to own <laughs> JebBushForPresident.com. Well, CJ and Charlie aren't the typical gentlemen that you would think would own JebBushForPresident.com because they're not, I, I, I don't want to speak out of turn, but they don't seem to be your prototypical Jeb Bush supporters. Well, joining us on the phone, luckily enough, is CJ of CJ and Charlie fame. How are you doing, CJ? And thanks for coming on with us. Hi there. We're uh, I'm doing really good. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. <laughs> let, let me let me ask you, was I speaking out of turn relative to your support or lack thereof for the aforementioned Jeb Bush? Uh, you were not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, that is. Part of the reasons we chose that name for our blog. Explain the circumstances behind coming into possession of the of, of Jeb Bush for president.com. Right on. Um, Charlie and I were living in Texas. We were working down in Austin, Texas, and uh, Texas legislature had very recently passed some really, really, meh, let's say crappy, if I can say that on the air, some crappy legislation towards LGBTQ families, right? And essentially saying, even though Charlie and I, because we had to have either seven or eight legal documents to convey the same legal protections a marriage license does, right? Wow. So we had gotten those documents and we had them in place. And then Texas legislation passed. Anybody could go to the court and challenge those legal documents right? in the event of one of our deaths, right? So let's imagine something had happened to me. The next-door neighbor who, you know, and I'm not saying they weren't nice people. They were nice people. Let's imagine they weren't nice people, right? And something happened to me. They could go to the court and petition the court and say, CJ and Charlie were in a relationship that mimicked marriage. And the court would nullify all of our legal documents. It's appalling. Yeah. It just, it, yeah. And there's no reason for it. Right? And it there's, well, there's, it, it, it smacks of Texas politics. I mean, it smacks of the well, okay, South yeah. in general. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good point. Um, so it was, we were really, really frustrated at the time. And uh, around the same time frame, Jeb Bush had released some sort of statement comparing LGBTQ folks to pedophiles. Uh. And 
you know, and it, it was sort of this interesting congruence of events. So that had happened, the Jeb Bush statement had came out, and there was this Internet meme, 2008, President Obama had just gotten into office, and Charlie and I were joking, wouldn't it be hilarious if we could somehow use the name of someone who is so anti-LGBTQ for a social justice block? And, you know... <laughs> Five minutes on the internet, we bought Jeb Bush for president.com. You guys, seriously, goddamn. And by the way, you can, cr- crappy is uh, totally okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> you guys are my kind of people. It's it's a bummer you live in Portland, although you're probably very comfortable in Portland and not in Austin, but, Texas, because you moved. Is that correct? We did. We moved. We, it's funny. We actually moved from Portland to Austin for work. And uh, don't regret that at all. We loved Austin. We loved uh, what we were doing down there. It just, you know, got too hot. And Texas, the political climate, we were but you know, we don't want to stick around for this. So how long did it take for people to start writing you and saying, hey, this isn't a website that is supporting <laughs> Jeb Bush? <laughs> well, you know, and that's funny. We had this domain since 2008, and it really didn't get any traction whatsoever until Jeb became a contender. Oh, wow. So it wasn't until recently. Yep, exactly. We got very little insight. And we actually, you know, our thought was, hey, let's explore a few more, right? And we knew this going in. So we also got some local Texas politicians. And uh, unfortunately, none of them panned out to be contenders, right? One we had that we really would have hoped out was Kay Bailey Hutchison. Oh, yeah. former, Former senator for the great state of Texas. Exactly, right? She was actually a wonderful person who was very progressive, but it was one of those things until they, they put themselves in the limelight that we could get traction, it really didn't do the blog any good. So we'd actually gotten all the way down. The only one we had at the time was JebBushForPresident.com. Suddenly, Jeb Bush starts making noise about being a president, and uh, Business Insider broke the story. They reached out to us, and they were like, hey, you know, they were sort of the ones who broke it all wide open, and it's, it's been a, a blast since then. Has, has anybody ever from the, the Bush camp contacted you like, hey, guys, uh, you know, we've got deep pockets because he's raised over $100 million up to this point. I know, right? Has anybody reached <laughs> out to, to enrich in your, your lives monetarily? <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> no, not officially. We did have uh, early on, right after um, Business Insider broke it, someone sent us an email, hey, I'd like to buy this domain for my brother for his birthday. Would you be interested? And it wasn't until afterwards Charlie was like, I wonder if that was George. <laughs> <laughs> did uh, yeah. w- Were you surprised that it was available? It's shocking to me that he didn't have the the foresight, because it's clear that he had some inclination in 2008 that he had had intentions to run for president. It just, if there's anything said here, it's that he's not qualified to be president of the United States because he's not a good enough planner. (laughs) Good point. That's a very good point. Yeah, we when Charlie, you know, we were talking about it, and he's like, "Go see if Jeb Bush for president's available." I'm like, "Probably not." Click it in. Yeah, you can buy this. Seriously, pick. You know. <laughs> well, so what purpose does the blog have? Does the website? I want to keep referring to it as the website, not a blog, because it's so just delicious that it's jebbushforpresident.com. I want to keep reinforcing that. What purpose does it serve now? So now it's it's sort of kind of funny. When we were trying to figure out what we wanted, we definitely we knew what we didn't want. We didn't want to be a bash site. 
we didn't want to be, you know, this person sucks, you should never vote for them, you should, you know, if you do this, you're an idiot. That wasn't the platform we wanted to take. That's very, to be that's, honest, that's very big of you. <laughs> well, I'm a big dude, right? Um, <laughs> you and me both, brother. Yeah, they, they, we had this thing. We didn't. There are plenty of people out there. The world has enough Ann Cultures and Rosh Hannessy and Russ or Ross, whatever his name is, right? Um, they've got enough people yelling at each other and putting each other down. We don't need that, right? So our platform has been very much. We want to show people who may not, you know, believe it or not, there are people in the world who still say, "Oh, I've never met a gay person." Yeah, you know what? I bet you have, right? You just don't know, right? So we are both totally comfortable being out there, right? Uh, I like to joke that I'm so far out, you can see me from space. But <laughs> uh, that's what—that's our goal, right? We will be those people who I've never known a gay person here. You know what? Come read our story. We'll show you that we're just like you. That's awesome. Well, and I also think it's right. profound because you're you're sharing how you will be affected by these sorts of things, these legislative acts that these politicians want to put into place and how it will impact your life directly. I think it's easy for people who are against gay marriage to say, well, I don't know anyone and it won't affect my life. So why does it matter? Well, this is showing how it will. Yep. Yep, exactly. And that's been our goal. That's been our whole thing, you know. And we didn't know if we'd get any traction or if it'd even do any good, right? But we're still going to put it out there. And we have had some of the most interesting outreach from folks. And my favorite one to tell the story is we had a grandmother, and I, I believe she was from Florida. And she wrote us an email saying, I stumbled across your site, and I want to say thank you because my grandson recently came out as gay. And I love him to bits, and I've been so worried that he's going to be – he's not going to have a quality life and he's going to be unsuccessful and he's always going to be unhappy. And she goes, and after reading your page and reading your discussions, I'm, I see that he can be as happy as I am. And I'm so happy for him. You know, that's right. And that's exactly what our goal is. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, listen, it is a, a bright and shining future that we're facing right now in the wake of the June 26th Supreme court ruling. And Heck yeah. I, I, in the, you know, yesterday, Rowan County, Kentucky, a federal judge enforced the ruling of the Supreme Court and is forcing that Kem Davis, that that clerk in Rowan yep. County, li that listen, it doesn't matter what your deeply held mythological, that's my word, not his, but your deeply held right religious belief, it doesn't matter. You, If you worked at the DMV and you didn't believe in drinking, you wouldn't be able to not give someone a driver's license who drives a beer truck. So do your job. And keep your religion out of the people's lives who don't choose to be affected by your religion. Right. And you know what? That's the very last post I did. I don't know if you guys have had a chance, but if you're if anybody listening wants to go read the last post, it is addressing exactly that. Even if we uphold, yep, you know what? Someone's religious conviction, yeah, you can make a decision based on that. Okay, cool. Let's discuss the ramifications of that. My religious conviction is not going to be the same as yours. Which right. one takes priority? Well, it's I say it on the show all the time that right. that your rights stop where mine begin. And I I can't impose I can't in the exercise of my rights trample upon yours and and vice right. versa. Yep. And it's just it's a, it's a, it's a it's a bummer that we live in a time which is quickly fading away, quicker than I ever thought, but we live in a time where there's this struggle between 
I want to preserve my right to trample on yours. And it's it's a bummer. Well, listen, exactly. yep. we we love you guys. It is awesome that you're doing what you're doing and doing it from the positive perspective because that's, I think, because, listen, I'm... <laughs> It's easy for me. I have to get reined in by Brittany on the show all the time because, you know, I tend toward hostile. Yeah, I get a little pissed off. And okay. I think it, I think it's a beautiful thing that you're really taking the high road, which for me would be very difficult. So I uh, I applaud you. I'm actually I'm saluting you. It just doesn't show up because we're on the radio. Awesome. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's and I'll be honest, dude, it's sometimes yeah yeah <laughs> uh i do want to go off i absolutely want to go off and i'll be honest with you one of my hot buttons is when i hear parents or civic leaders or religious leaders willingly condemn a young person just for being lgbtq mm-hmm. yeah right well because they... it, yeah yeah well, that's my hot button because it has nothing to do with them this is that person's life especially a young person well that's it it's their life you you're you're fucking with them and their life and their who they are at their very core it's not exactly. that it's not that they've chosen to be a christian because that's the way that they want to live their life it's at their core it is who they are at a basis level and you're attacking that and yep. With with the the rates of suicide among the LGBTQ community and and other you know terrible statistics that we see, these yep. people who are supposedly and I'm talking about the religious who are supposedly dedicating their lives to to admonish people toward love and acceptance, yep, they're they're doing the world and to be honest, their faith a disservice. So even though it's exactly. easy to get angry, it's probably easier to win hearts and minds on this issue when you're coming at it from the perspective that you are. Well, yeah, thanks. And that's that's our goal. <laughs> we want to be that, you know, because I, I honestly, I, Charlie, let me say this. Charlie would be a great, he, if you and Charlie got on the same show together and you guys <laughs> wanted to go on a rant, it would be hilarious, right? Because he's from the South and he has all types of funny things. Um, but... <laughs> My thing is that I've always been on that thing. I, I can rant for a few minutes, but then I always get a little self-conscious about, am I giving someone, try to assume they're coming from a positive intent. And that's always been my focus, personally. Assume a positive intent, address the topic that way. It, it really is the better way to do it. I'm just, I'm a weak, weak man, CJ. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us about this. And uh, keep fighting the good fight, man. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. And hey, holler back if you ever have any more questions. And we very well may. You, you, might, you might be signing your own death warrant because we will be hassling you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it. You have a great day. You too. Nice meeting you all. Bye. Goddamn. Really good, right? CJ was awesome. I really wish we would have had CJ and Charlie. Yes. But it just scheduling wise didn't work out. And what a lovable bunch of guys. Yeah, they're awesome. awesome. Super great. That has been in the works for a long time. And because I am a slothful, procrastinating turd, it didn't get done. It wasn't until I stepped in. (laughs) And then it got done. Shocking, I know. I know. I'm the worst. All right. Well, let's move on. So this is, again, right up my alley, like we just talked about with CJ, uh, an article 
from Brad Bushman, who is a professor of communications and psychology at the Ohio State University. And the article is about venting and how people often think that when they vent or when they fire off an angry email, that it's going to make them feel better. But the research he's done, it indicates that actually venting could make you angrier. Right. And so a lot of the popular media has been reporting on this. I've been seeing it on social media a lot. And I want to I want to talk about what the research was and then also talk about the connections that people are saying because yeah. they're saying that e-venting is a problem. Venting online is oh, a problem. Like and the, then the email thing. Yeah, yeah. And then or firing off a Facebook post or a tweet and sending it out into the world prematurely as it were. Yeah, and the research that Brad Bushman did uh, doesn't really have anything to do with doing things online. So I, I'm kind of confused by the connection, but let's let's talk about the research and then we'll get to that. So Dr. Bushman has conducted multiple studies that show that venting anger or frustration isn't beneficial. In one study published in the Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin in 2002, he asked 600 college students to write an essay on abortion. He matched each student with a partner, in reality a researcher, who purported to have the opposite view and rated the student's essay negatively on organization, <laughs> writing style, and originality. Goddamn, they psychology is a beautiful thing because they love to fuck with people. Go ahead. Sorry. Dr. Bushman then divided the students into three groups. The rumination group was instructed to hit a punching bag while thinking about the person who graded their essay. The distraction group was told to hit the punching bag while thinking about becoming physically fit. And the control group did nothing. Then each student reported his or her mood, choosing from angry adjectives such as mean, hostile, and irritated, and feel-good adjectives such as calm, happy, and relaxed. How about real cool? <laughs> was real cool in there? Uh, I don't know. I'm feeling real cool. Maybe there was a fill in the blank. <laughs> The students in the rumination group were the most angry and the most aggressive, while those in the control group who did nothing to vent were the least angry or the least aggressive. Now, let's stop. Um, we're stopping, everybody. In the rumination group, people were instructed to hit the punching bag while thinking about the person who graded their essay. Right. Who told them that they weren't good in the areas of right. organization, so, originality. So they're focusing on the person who was negative about them. They're also hitting a punching bag. Right. They're doing something that's inherently aggressive and is going to make you feel hostile. Right. You're punching a punching bag. Where the next person is punching a punching bag, but thinking about getting physically fit. Right. And and they say that those in the rumination group that were hitting the punching bag and thinking about the person, they were more angry or aggressive than those in the control group. Of course they were. Yeah. And so this article is talking about how, you know, experts say e-venting is particularly risky. We think it's private because we can do it in a secluded place like our bed while we're in our pajamas. Oh, wait, 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 hang on. Where did they get to e-venting? That's what's kind of confusing they, to me. Did they do research on e-venting or did it go from punching bag to Facebook with no, there's no connection. It's just a disconnect. Well... That's what I'm seeing in a lot of these articles that are talking about this specific research article. That's weird. And then talking about the eventing. Hmm. 
which I mean, I understand if experts are saying, okay, eventing is also bad. We're going to give you an example of a research study where they did vent and then they were more angry and aggressive, but they were hitting a punching bag. I mean, it's kind of a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. So this is similar to what we talk about where, you know, my favorite assignment that I ever received I think I was a junior in college in biopsychology and my professor had us pull research articles throughout the semester. We had to do it three different times. I think we had to pull a research article. No, wait, we had to find (laughs) (laughs) this was so long ago. Yes. We had to find (laughs) a research article reported in popular media. So just, you know, like this and then tell how the media fucked it up. Yeah. And then go find the real research article, read it and compare the two and write a paper on it. So you're thinking you're thinking the media just jacked this one up and they're extrapolating E from whatever these E benefits. That's like a Veterans Administration health thing. But they're they're extracting results from this that don't exist or were not intended, maybe. Yeah, when they talk about this specific study, and even though they're they're talking to the author of this study about eventing, I mean, this particular study that they're referencing, they were hitting a punching bag. They didn't go on Facebook right. and vent yeah, about yeah. the person criticizing their abortion essay. Right. You know, so it's just kind of a different thing. And maybe this is how Mike Huckabee lost all his weight. Someone criticizing his wacky stances on abortion. And going and punching on a punching bag while thinking about the the greater and physical fitness, Brittany. I guess that could be a possibility. It could be. All right. We're going to wrap it up with some old taking care of biz, which we still don't have any submissions (laughs) for changing the segment. Taking care of biz. LeBron James. LeBron James, you say? LeBron James is taking care of biz. Cleveland Cavalier, professional basketball player, arguably one of the most talented men who's ever held a basketball, LeBron James. He is giving kids from Akron, one with challenging backgrounds like his, the chance to go to college for free. The NBA star has partnered with the University of Akron to provide guaranteed four-year scholarships to the school for students in James's I Promise program who qualify. The scholarship will cover tuition and the university's general service fee, currently $9,500 per year. James told ESPN he plans to provide this for 1,100 kids, which would cost his foundation a total of $41.8 million at the school's current rates. Unbelievable. Let, let me tell you something. Here's the deal, Brittany. <laughs> Let's hear it. What is the deal? I have for a long time not liked LeBron James. Because he hasn't handled his media that well, his 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 uh, persona, his public persona. Same reason why, although I'm a Lakers fan, have not liked Kobe Bryant. But doing stuff like this, even if he is an egocentric, arrogant prick, which he may or may not be, I don't know him. This kind of stuff is awesome because no matter your intent, no matter your motivation, you're still donating forty one million dollars. And allowing or making far more available the prospect of college to how many, how many kids? 1,100. That is unbelievably philanthropic. That is a beautiful, 
beautiful thing. He he really, I mean, you picked it right here. LeBron James fucking taking care of biz. Right. He said it means so much because as a kid growing up in the inner city and a lot of African-American kids, you don't really think past high school, James said. You don't really know your future. You hear high school all the time and you graduate high school and then you never think past that because it's either not possible or your family's not financially stable to even support a kid going to college. So he identifies with the the struggle that a lot of these kids are going to have and he wants to do something to help. And this is an amazing way to go about doing that. It's also an amazing thing because LeBron James didn't go to college. LeBron James was drafted into the National Basketball Association at 18, right out of high school, much like Kobe Bryant. Yes. So it's a beautiful thing that he's he's really giving kids a step up. It's it's awesome. Well, it's directly impacting 1,100 kids. He's changing yeah. the futures directly yeah. of 1,100 kids. I hope that they have some mechanism in place to follow these kids and give some support other than just monetary support, than, other than just monetary, because... It, it takes more than just money to see a kid succeed. You you really need the 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 ability to learn to study and to, to the, the stick to itiveness and the there's a lot there's many more elements than just the cash, you know. And I, I, I'll I'll take just the cash. <laughs> pretty good for me. Right on. All right. Well, with that feel good story, we're gonna leave you. We appreciate you very much. We love each and every one of you. We have seen a surge in our numbers. So if you're new to the show, we'd love to hear from you. How you found us, how you stumbled upon us, what you think. Go rate and review us on iTunes. Sound off. Tell us what you think verbally in a voicemail. Let us know what your deal is. I'll tell you what the deal is. (laughs) 657-464-7609. Again, fewer than three-minute voicemail or two fewer than three-minute voicemails, adding a six-minute voicemail. I guarantee that fucker's going to get edited down, though, because <laughs> nobody got time for that. Uh, if you are, if you don't like the voicemail situation, email us a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubted at dollamore.com. We love you. Go check out dollamore.com again. On the left-hand side of the page is the Amazon link. Apparently, I've gotten some feedback that it might be a little dinked up, so I'm going to try to find somebody who is more technologically aware than I am to get that fixed. So for those of you who have reached out, I'm getting that fixed straight away. Don't you worry. I mean, don't go putting your your, your purchases on hold, but uh, I'm going to get it fixed. So it's it's going to be back in for everybody, not just those who have Chrome or, or whatever. And I'm rambling. So I'm going to stop. We love our audience. We appreciate you joining in with us to communicate with us, to help us move the conversation forward every single episode. Twice a week, joining us in this special thing that you and Brittany and I have created. It's it's special, and uh, we thank the world of you. So until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. To imagine how we're going to succeed in our country unless we have committed family life, it's hard to imagine.